everyone. Welcome back to the Road to Wealth podcast. It is your host, Justin Knackpill, and I am very grateful for you to come to this episode today. On today's episode, I have the pleasure and honor of speaking with Miss Valerie Rivera, CFP. She's the owner and operator of the First Gen Wealth practice here in Chicago. And we talk a lot about her story, her early memories of money, her background working in wealth management and finding the empowerment and courage to start her own practice called First Gen Wealth. So we dive into a number of different money conversations specifically around her. Uh, Being a fellow Chicagoan, uh, hopefully you'll be able to love the lightning round questions. And also, again, just want to thank her for having the courage and uh, her ability to really strike gold with her new practice. Um, I do want to give a warning to the audience. There is a lot of keyboard clicking that I unfortunately uh, was my fault. Um, I actually had my mic on uh, as I was typing notes, talking to Valerie because I wanted to capture her story properly. And on a second note, um, I did come back from FinCon, which is the big financial conference for those in the uh, creative content space. So I will have a separate episode with my thoughts around my first experience at FinCon. And for those that are new to the podcast, please go ahead and rate and subscribe on your podcast player. So let's go to our talk with Valerie. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Road to Wealth podcast. Thank you again for listening and downloading this episode. This is your host, Justin Knackpill, and I am honored to be joined by a fellow Chicagoan in the house, Valerie Rivera from First Gen Wealth. How are you doing? I'm doing so well. Thanks so much for having me, Justin. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. And, um, you know, I've known Valerie on the Twitter timeline for a little bit, but uh, little did we know we were actually neighbors you know, growing up in the same neighborhood, which is which is amazing and dope. So, Valerie, let, let's get into, you know, for our listeners, uh, who you are uh, and a little bit about your background, if you can. Yeah, sure. My name is Valerie Rivera. I am born and raised in Chicago. I've been in financial planning for over 10 years. Um, Did not know I would ever be in this profession whatsoever. I am married and have a three-year-old little girl named Violet. And I just launched my own financial planning practice, First Gen Wealth, this year. First of all, congratulations. That's a huge Huge, huge accomplishment. And, uh, you know, we were talking earlier in, in prep, just, you know, being working parents and just the challenges and joys of, of that. We had to close our doors to make sure our children are on their devices selfishly. And so we can talk. Absolutely. So they're being occupied by Paw Patrol. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, definitely a hit in our house. Um, so, so let's start from the beginning. So you mentioned like, you know, not having a vision of getting into, you know, financial planning and stuff like that. Why don't you talk a little bit about those those early days for you? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'm kind of really traditional in the sense that um, I'm first generation in this country. My parents are from from Mexico. Um, my dad, right, was forced to drop out of school when he was in the sixth grade to help provide for the family. So for him, it was really important to um, to leave, right, and to go someplace where there was more opportunity. And so that him making his way to the, to the U.S., meeting my mom, right, changed the trajectory of all of our lives. Um, and growing up, my parents were always really there for us. So we had everything that we that we needed. I come from a family of I, I have three other siblings, uh, but we never talked about money. And it was interesting, but, uh, but reflecting now as an adult, 
Like I grew up across the street from housing projects. So I didn't grow up in housing projects, but across the street from them, from them. And that's where all of my classmates um, uh, lived as well. Right. So I knew I had it better than a lot of people because I had a house like that. That's a big deal. Um, And then growing up, we just didn't talk about money Mm -hmm. at, at all. And I knew that money provided me options. So it wasn't even that I wanted stuff. I just knew it gave me independence. And like an early example I can remember is being a teenager, asking my parents if I could go to the movies, right? Back when like movie tickets were $8.50 a piece. And they would say, sure, you can go. We can't give you any money for it. And that's what made me think early on, like, geez, I want money so I could go do the things that I want to do in life. So that's where the seed was initially planted, was the lack of having and the lack of knowing. And there's a lot there that I want to unpack. Um, you know, similar similar to me. You know, my parents came from a third world nation, migrated, had to you know figure out our lifestyle. But yeah, that that genesis of money was completely different because you know they like my parents grew up in you know poverty. Um, I'm curious for you, you know, growing with your other siblings, you know, what was the money? I mean, you mentioned there wasn't really talk about money, but how did you function as a sibling and like? What were those dynamics uh, when it comes to your yeah. relationship with money? It's so uh, it's so interesting to like unpack now as an adult and to think about the things that you did when you were younger that were normal to you, right? So, like a good example is I didn't buy any new clothing um, until I was fourteen years old. My mom took me to TJ Maxx and said, "You have a hundred dollars to spend here," and I was like, "What?" like clothes that hadn't been worn before. Like, this is crazy because we had only lived off of hand-me-downs or going to the thrift store. And when we went to the thrift store, we would bring other plastic bags with us so that when we left, we would put those uh, thrift store bags into the other plastic bags, right? Subconsciously, I was basically being taught to be ashamed of our situation. Um, Little did I know that as an adult, it would become trendy to go thrift store shopping. And I still thrift store shop today, not because I need to, but because it's fun and it's it's good for the environment. So there are a lot of instances like that where like things you just knew you didn't ask to do. Like we didn't go on vacation. The thought of going like Disney World, like that doesn't happen. Um, We would go like our vacation was six of us traveling in a four door sedan to Mexico, driving for three days, four of us in the back with two coolers by the, by the bottom, because why would we have feet and why would that matter? Right. <laughs> we didn't sleep at hotels. We would sleep at rest stops. And like, that's just what we did. Like, that's how we rolled. And we were always really happy, but like, those are things that today I, I would never do. It just wouldn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we, we had a similar, uh, you know, experience, you know, with road trips and, you know, maximizing all, all that, all, all those pieces. I guess where were you, you know, teenage years to college years? Like what, what was your relationship with money then? Now you mentioned going to the movies and stuff. Like, did, was it a conversation you talked about with like friends or you know, other, like close? Yeah. Family? So there, um, I've been working since I was 15 years old. My very first job was working at this video store named the Video Strip, and I would work there uh, after work and weekends. So terrible for like my education, but I come from a family that unlike a lot of the first gens, you hear them talk about uh, prioritizing education. My parents did it um, and not just because they didn't know, right? So they prioritize hard work. 
Like if you work hard, you'll get to where you need to be. But it, there was never a discussion around education or or college. I just happened to go to a really good high school, um, the same high school as like Michelle Obama. So around me were people who cared about education. Therefore, I cared about education. Um, but working early on gave me gave me money. Um, and then I've been working full time since the day I graduated high school. I, I just knew that I liked making money because it allowed me to save and allowed me to, to do things. Um, and then when it came to college, I told my parents, I want to go to college. And they said, cool, like, good luck, figure it out. Right. Like, there was no means to, to help me um, or advocate for me in terms of like figuring out FAFSA or applications or, or any of those. Right. Um, and so when I see parents today and how they are with their kids, like, oh man, that, that's so cool. Like, that's what I want for, for my daughter. And it definitely makes me think about uh, um, how much opportunity I could have had had, like had I had a, that level of advocacy earlier on in life. But I am also like hyper aware that part of um, who I am today is because I was forced to grow up and advocate for myself. And it's amazing. And, you know, thanks for sharing, Valerie, just like that work ethic early on. Um, you know, I'm curious, like, how what, 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 how would you describe your your money personality? Are you a saver? Are you a spender? Um, you know, because everyone has you know, different relationships with money. And, you know, as you know, stepping into fi- you know, the financial industry, I'm sure that brings some it, its own responsibility. But I'm curious what your kind of archetype, your financial archetype is. Yeah, um, I would say that mine is very much a scarcity mentality that I've been trying to unwind over time. So big time saver, big time investor, um, because I feel a need to make up for lost time. And I started investing when I was 24, which is like so pretty damn early uh, in life. And it was only because I was at a job when I, my first job in wealth management where I saw that happening and I'm like, oh, what is this? ETFs, Vanguard, like these are these are real things. So I didn't quite know what I was doing, but I started doing it. And so having that head start really, um, really helped me out. But definitely a um, scarcity mentality of save, save, save. And so luckily I have my husband to help balance me out. He's not a big spender either, but he's taught me to not feel guilty about the spending that I do do. And um and certain areas that, that I've learned to prioritize, like travel and vacation, I do those without guilt. And a lot of it is because I put together a spending plan. I know what's within reason, and it allows me to spend on things that I find important. Like I, I don't care about clothing, but I care a lot about international travel. Yeah, and I think it comes back. And you know, a lot of this podcast is around financial independence and, and those trying to you know achieve it, especially for those that are unaware of the concept of it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one, one of the questions that kind of drew me to you, Valerie, was a child of, of minorities, uh, a minority child, you know, coming from, I'll be frank, a, a brown household like me, <laughs> you know, like where there, there was a yeah. lot of different conceptions around money. What drew you to wealth management? <laughs> I was working for a community development bank, the, a shore bank that no longer exists. So I was there at 08 when it was shut down mm-hmm. and it's a for-profit bank that invest in low-income communities, specifically brown and black communities. So that really was 
uh, develop, help to develop a core part of my social justice bone, seeing that, but if you don't invest in these areas, then they're going to be forgotten about, right? And there's there are real people there. Um, my boss happened to leave, go to a really traditional wealth management firm. She was the one, I, I had no idea. I didn't know this world existed. I had no idea, right? So if you think about it, Justin, these firms aren't marketing to people like us, whether to work there or to be a client there. They're just not. If you look at these commercials for the big firms, it's middle-aged white men that they're showing everywhere. Like it's not, it's not us. Um, so it took my boss convincing me to go because I didn't even want to apply. I was too scared to, to apply. I felt like I wasn't worthy. And then when I was there, I'll tell you frankly that they made me feel like I wasn't worthy and I didn't deserve to be there. So much because traditional wealth management is about serving people who already have a certain level of financial affluence. And so if you don't have that as a client, they don't want to work with you. And as an advisor, so many of these larger firms are not about deep financial planning. They're salespeople. And so they're looking for people who come from the right network, who come from the right area, uh, who went to the right schools. And so for me, I was a bit of a throwaway for them because I didn't grow up on the North Shore of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And so I offered them no value in terms of my, my network. Therefore, I was even discouraged from um, continuing within the profession when I expressed to them that I wanted to go for my CFP certification. Yeah. They told me that I was setting myself up for failure. Right. So a lot of the industry is like that. What compelled you to, to stay? Stubborn. I was young. I didn't know any better. Um, a lot of microaggressions that you process later on in life. I think a lot, I think a lot of 2020 made me realize just how bad that experience was in my early 20s. Like I knew it didn't feel good at the time, but I just didn't realize how bad it was. I definitely um, cried a lot coming home. And really, financial services is not that different than a lot of other industries, right? I hear this from my clients who work in tech, who work in medicine, who work in law, right? It's very similar. Um, a lot of like, like code switching, right? With with what you have. To do. I wore hoops today. I have never worn hoops in a professional setting before because I'm terrified, right? Someone thinking like, this is a JLo right here. Although I would love to be compared to JLo, let's be real. <laughs> You're a boss in your own right, Valerie. And we're going to get into it. <laughs> You could be loud as you know, and bring your own individual self to this. And I, you know, I think what you know, again, what what drew me to you is, um, you know, the confidence and empowerment you're you're you're, gonna ha- you're having with first gen wealth. Um, but before we get there, um, you know, not to dive into some some toxic past, but just more so, what were the skills and um, ex- the, the positive experiences that you got from <laughs> from from those early days in, in wealth? Totally. Yeah. yeah, they're definitely the positive experiences outweighed the bad ones, hundred percent. Uh, I love financial planning. Like I am a, I'm an absolute nerd. I read books on taxes for fun. And at my first firm, I would put together someone's financial plan and provide it to the advisor. I felt like I knew that client more on paper than the advisor did. And then I would have to explain to the advisor, like, these are the things to look out for. These are some considerations. This is what they should absolutely change. Like, here's what it needs to be changed. And I would give it to the advisor, like to be that rock star and and be client facing. Mm -hmm. So seeing 
a financial advisor for the first time because I didn't know it, it existed. Right. Yeah. I knew like I want that. That's so cool. Like the ability, like what if I had the ability to take all of this analysis I was doing in the background and actually, actually present it to the client directly? Like how cool would that be? So I, I loved the idea of the role and I knew like I want, I wanted to work directly with people. I just, I knew it. Um, and it's not even about the numbers necessarily, but once I started learning more about planning and the role it plays in our life and the role it's, it's made in my life, right? Like I have everything I have because of the financial planning that happened in my own life. So I, I believe so deeply in it because I know it works. Um, so I, like for me, like I, I love the idea of like spreading the good word just because so much of our life, whether we want to accept it or not, revolves around money, right? Like so much of it. And so what if you had a handle on your money? Like how good would that feel? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And I think with, you know, the aspects of, you know, growing up in a very culturally diverse city in Chicago, um, you know, what I've noticed, especially within our communities is that, you know, people just save, they, they save money, mm -hmm. but they don't, yeah. the whole, the, the aspect of investment planning uh, or investing for one, but also creating a financial plan is a very foreign concept to, you know, many people within our community. Um, how do you take that approach? You know, if, if, you know, speaking to me or, you know, someone else within, you know, that looks like us, um, how do we demystify a lot of those you know, preconceptions or assumptions that they have around. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, so for me, like, even though I've been in the industry for over 10 years, I never felt like I belonged, which is good because it's, it's allowed me to always feel like a consumer. Right. Um, and a huge reason why I started my practice is because I feel like so much of the industry isn't speaking to people like us. And whether that's directly or indirectly, I don't know. But the language that's being used, the visuals that are being used, the concepts, all of the jargon, it's not speaking to normal people. It's just, it's just not. And so part of what I want to do is demystify by using normal language to normalize the fact that we didn't learn this in school, to take away the judgment around it, because so much of it is shame and judgment about what we don't know, but most of personal finance happens at home. So if your parents didn't know, how would you have learned, right? Um, and I think a lot of like the overall industry, like when someone's hiring a planner, for example, in my old life, it wasn't if I should hire someone, it's who should I hire, right? There's mm -hmm. they. Because they grew up around it. If you grew up around all of these professionals, whether planner, attorney, your CPA, those professions are normalized around you. So you know, like these are people that help me get to where I need to be and keep me there. And in in my world, that and I'm sure in your world, right? Like th that wasn't the case. No one around us had a planner. So I hear some like taglines for advisors that say, "Not your father's financial advisor." And I'm like, "What? Your father had a financial advisor? What the hell?" <laughs> <laughs> right like that and that just shows things or i hear people talking about like my 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 mom's like like my mom's college alumni group I'm like what your mom went to college like <laughs> it's just a different world so i think just like normalizing where people are i can't even say getting to their level because i'm at their level i just happen to know more about financial stuff than they do and i think there 
thank you for sharing because I, I think there's an element of um, these concepts are very foreign and you know it, it's always funny like at, at family parties or something like that it's like knowing that I'm the finance guy it's like oh have you invested in crypto or did you hear about this Litecoin or whatever I'm like I don't care about that stuff but if that's the taste for you to you know start thinking about your longevity um, yeah. I'm welcoming that conversation totally yeah I definitely see it at parties I was at a party this past weekend and people ask me all the time different things because we're like I'm the financial person among my among my group right um, and so people have questions like they just don't really know where to go and who who they can trust but we all have questions right and so we just tend to turn to Google or like slack at work yeah mm-hmm. yeah and you know within our community like I found Valerie on, on Twitter and there's this like you know, pocket of the internet, whether it be on Instagram or TikTok, where a lot of these financial concepts um, are there. And they're from creators, not only um, that are CFPs, um, but, you know, that are just enthusiasts like myself and, you know, just want to be able to get, gain correct information. Um, mm-hmm. You know, w- one question I had, you know, you, you mentioned um, your piece around, you know, not feeling like you belonged within those rooms. Um, what, what were in, what was inside you that, you know, share, you know, created that empowerment for you to say like, you know, I do belong in this room. I, I am capable. Like what, what were some of the things that you did to kind of hype, your, hype yeah. yourself up? For me, um, for me to get to the point that I'm at now with my confidence level around and just even like start my own practice, it came down to um, education and time, right? The more I learned, the more I realized I knew a lot I'll never be an expert in anything, right? So like I hear people talk about, I'm an expert. I hope to never be an expert because to me, there's always more more to learn. I, I, I hope to be a perpetual student. But essentially doing this for 10 years and being around people who are quote unquote highly successful and realizing like, you, you know, more than them um, helps to helps to boost you. Yeah. So it was really like reading a ton, educating myself, working hands-on with clients, right? To to get like that number of times at, at bat, to get really comfortable um, because there's so much psychology too with, with clients where like you can have the best plan and give the best advice, but if it's not implemented, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. It's, it's funny how money has that type of effect on us where, you know, you could create the best plan, you could optimize, you can have all the spreadsheets and graphs, but you know, one of the pieces was, was talking about, you know, your psychology, like, are you a spender? Are you a saver? Like, how do you, how do you look at that? And I'm curious for, for you with your clients, like, how do you coach through that? Especially if someone's a, a serial saver and investor, like they just, they put so much pressure on themselves not to spend. Um, how do you balance that? And how do you coach that? Yeah, no, I definitely have clients on both sides of, of the spectrum. And you tend to see it right when you, when you gather the documents and the documents tend to tell a story, um, and the clients, a lot of clients do, right? Like have really high self-awareness or at least enough self-awareness to know that they needed help because that's why they're working with me in the first place. So, right. Like, like these are people that are coming in, like knowing, like, I, I just need a fix, whatever the fix is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for my clients that, that are um, saving to the point where they're not enjoying today, oftentimes they recognize that. And so what we'll end up doing is building in spending into their plan so that it's still planned because that's part of what they can't get past is that, well, how do I just spend? So if we budget for the spending, 
then it's easier for them because then they don't feel like they're being irresponsible because we've already accounted for it. Right. A big one that I do that with is, is going out to eat because it's often not just about eating, right? It's the experience. It's who you're with. It's the atmosphere. It's the fact that like at the Friday night, you're not trying to eat leftover ramen, right? You want to actually exit your house. Yeah. So it, it there's more to it than I want to go out to eat. So like recognizing that the clients need that as people, we need those social outlets and to help encourage that behavior. Um, and sometimes when it doesn't make sense for, for someone, helping them to see what adjustments can, can we make, right? Because there's only so many dollars and how are we going to allocate those so that it makes sense for your life and helping clients to, to make that decision, uh, right? So that they prioritize what, what matters to them. Yeah. No, that, that makes so much sense. And, uh, you know, the, the, the challenge that, you know, we see, um, especially within our space, was just realizing that. I think as we grow older, um, that is unfortunately the the tough part of having to you know, grow up an adult, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, Valerie, tell us a little bit about um, the concept of first-gen wealth and uh, why you decided to open up your own practice. Yeah. I never intended to go off on my own. I had no desire to be a business owner or to lose my income. <laughs> no desire to do that. <laughs> but essentially what kept happening was I was working at firms where every minimum was generally a million dollars, right? So to be a client, for us to take your call, you need a million dollars. I also worked at a practice where they'd work with anyone, except it was kind of like the fast food of financial planning. And to me, um, it definitely didn't feel as if I was um, providing good enough advice and had the capacity and the time to be able to provide good enough advice, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so essentially, I wanted to find a home where it's somewhere I could be long term. And I wanted to be able to serve to serve everyone. So what bothered me is most of the industry still only wants to work with you if you have enough, right? So whether they charge you by your asset center management or they charge you a flat planning fee, whatever it is, it's, the fees are still pretty high. Um, and so by nature, that just excludes the majority of, of people. I also wanted to be able to normalize quality financial advice for people like us. And so by having myself, uh, by starting this, it's been really cool to see the, the demand that's there to have quality financial advice from an actual CFP and done in, done in a way where there's no judgment and there's and there's no shame, um, which is something really important to me. And then also like just the personal aspect of it is, I want to be able to spend time with my daughter. I didn't want any company telling me how or when to be able to do that. And if I would have to miss my daughter's ballet classes, I didn't want anyone in control of that. Yeah. Uh, first of all, congratulations. I, I think, you know, the, the vision and purpose of what you're doing within your practice is, is going to be great. And, um, you know, I, I, I love the fact that um, the normalization of, of the money conversation is becoming more true with you know, podcasts like this, you know, personalities like yourself online to, you know, share this out to the world. Um, I'm, I'm just curious as, as far as like, 
knowing your your background and history, like what lessons do you feel like you're going to be able to give your daughter and, and, and kids around you know their relationship with money? Oh wow! I mean, in a perfect world, my daughter would be joining my practice one day. <laughs> no pressure, right? <laughs> I would love nothing more. That's how I'm going to traumatize my daughter. She's going to grow up wondering or, or grow up with this pressure. Um, I think so much, right? Like I, I, my husband and I discuss this all the time. But when you don't grow up with a lot, that in itself has its own level of trauma. And how nice for my kid to not grow up with that sort of trauma. But we're going to screw up in a different way. I don't know which way yet. Maybe we'll end up being helicopter parents. I don't know. But in terms of, of lessons, I want her to know that Every option is available to her, that she belongs in every room. I also want her to know that uh, her college is covered. Like, uh, I know there's a lot of people who feel like, well, what's the future of college? Well, guess what? I'm the first generation in my family to go to college. Like, we're not giving up on it that quick. It's happening. Um, and so just to know that you're, like money will not be a worry for you, mm. I think it's just so cool. And I'm, I'm really excited about that. Yeah, definitely. All right, Valerie. So uh, thank you for sharing, you know, the, the, the purpose with, you know, with First Gen Wealth and, you know, what you're going to be doing with your daughter. Um, if it's okay with you, I'd like to get into the lightning round, if that's all right. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, awesome. In your spending plan that you have with your spouse, what is the category that you spend the least amount on per month? Clothing. Okay. On the opposite end, what do you guys spend the most on? Travel. <laughs> what was the best place that you tra you traveled to with your family? Pre-daughter was Italy. With daughter was short because of COVID. And so that was Berlin. And we're about to spend almost a month in Portugal this year. Oh, my God. Amazing. I, I, I'm going to be reaching out after that trip. <laughs> Portugal. Yeah. yeah. Um, hot topic as a Chicagoan. Is deep dish considered pizza? It is, but it's not good pizza. Where is your favorite uh, Chicago pizza place? Phil's Pizza. It's tavern style. I think the neighborhoods have the best. Oh, but I should have said a Connie's because my friend is part of Connie's. Oops, I'm going to be in trouble. Oh. It's Connie's. <laughs> Make sure this ep this episode does not get shared with, a <laughs> with your friend. <laughs> um, what's the biggest misconception of opening up your own practice? The biggest misconception is that um, it will be easy. Not that anyone thinks, is it, it's, it's more work. Like you're going to work more than if you work for someone else. Yeah. Love that. And the final question I have for you, Valerie, is mm -hmm. what would you tell that 15-year-old at her first job that you had 15 at that video place? What advice would you give her? I would say you belong here, but I don't belong at the video store. I would say <laughs> to pay attention, pay more attention in school and to, oh God, I love the path that I've, I've been on. I almost, I feel like I'm only on this path because of all the stuff that happened along the way. So it's almost just like, keep going and don't let your haters hold you back. Let them fuel you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Valerie, thank you again for the time. Uh, where can people find you and uh, get First Gen Wealth? 
Yeah, sure. My website is www.thenumber1genwealth.com. So I'm on Twitter at OneGenWealth and LinkedIn at Valerie Rivera. I'll put that all in the show notes. Valerie, thank you again for your time. Thank you, Justin.